Welcome to Mental Wealth for Entrepreneurs podcast, the podcast for resilient entrepreneurs. My guest today is Malini Rajendran, a serial entrepreneur and a podcast host. Malini is a Fulbright Scholar at the Cornell University School of Management. She has a master's degree in psychology and spirituality and value education, as well as a bachelor and diploma in environmental law. In 2012, Malini embarked on a spiritual quest which led to the development of many unique meditation techniques with a series of life-changing events that happened simultaneously over a period of over three months, completely changed her life's purpose and mission. Divine, divine um, heart meditation was revealed to her to transform people's lives from fear to freedom and to bring the human race together for the next level of human evolution, which she's been teaching ever since. So let's dive in and listen to Malini's story now. Hi, Malini. Hi. Do I say Katrina? How do you Katrina. say your name? Yeah, Katrina. Katrina, right. Yes. Hi, Katrina. <laughs> hi, hi. I'm so glad to have you on the show because you are one of the uh, ladies that have so much experience and um, learning behind. Uh, and could you just tell me, because you are a Fulbright Scholar at the Cornell University School of Hotel and Management, and you've got a Bachelor in Botany, and you've got a Master's in Psychology and so many more um degrees uh how did you manage to get all these um degrees and and could you just um, tell us about the importance of learning because you are a li- lifelong learner right yeah i'm a permanent student permanent student. although i've i've spent about 40 years of my life as a teacher but i think i'm more of a student and less of a teacher but but you know if uh I sort of feel my my academic and professional journey has been all over the place. Um, I've often been told, you know, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. (laughs) So uh, my parents were always very clear that I should master something, but it just wasn't me. I was just interested in everything that was going on around Probably didn't do too good a job at any of them, but I got them all done. You know, that was... I guess each one of us is made a little differently, uh, but but my uh, you must understand one thing that I graduated in 1971. I took my first masters in 1991. Wow! Yeah, uh, you know, so it took me 20 years to realize I wasn't educated enough, and and uh, and it was a subject uh, I was always fascinated with. So I did my master's in psychology, but that was a time in my life when something very funny happened. Uh, I'm academically not very clever. I mean, I'm not very interested in in the academic part of education. I love the concept of being educated, but taking an exam is way beyond me. (laughs) I just can't take an exam. (laughs) And I'm not good at it. And I have an awful handwriting. And my mother would always say, I pity the guy who has to, you know, check your answer sheets because I don't know if he's even going to be able to make out a word of what you've written. 
So um, the, the the thing was that, uh, you know, uh, when uh, I when I graduated, I, you know, we didn't have the kind of grades that children nowadays get. Children nowadays in India get are getting 90s and 100s. I mean, if you got a 50 or a 60, you were considered brilliant in my time. Uh, and the marking was also very, very strict. You know, you, it's you called, just yeah, get it's away with great writing inflation. any rubbish. Yeah. Great, <laughs> Sorry? Great, inf- great in, uh, inflation is called. <laughs> yes, greatly inflated scores, if you ask me. And, and as a teacher now, I realize that, um, you know, the kids really don't remember anything. And they ask me, how do you remember something you studied in sixth standard? I said, well, because we were taught that way. We were taught not to get marks, but taught to learn the, learn the subject. So, uh, so when I sort of uh, decided that I wanted to change my job, I realized I, uh, graduation has no value in India if you want, to, want a good job. Uh, and just being a teacher and working in an airline, at that time I was working at the airport's uh, authority of India as a housekeeper. I was in charge of Delhi Airport, which is one of the country's busiest airports. I was yeah. uh, in charge of housekeeping there. And I just needed a change. And I don't know, some, so there's something funny in my life. Every seven to ten years, I do a change. And I change from one industry to a completely unrelated <laughs> industry. And every seven to ten years, I, I go and study a completely new subject. So I did my master's in psychology in 1991-92. Then in uh, 10 years later, I did, I, I did my certification in uh, environmental law. <laughs> and then 10 years later, I did a certification. I did my master's again in spirituality and value education. I mean, you know, so it's, it's just all over the place. Uh, but now I realize that, you know, all of us uh, are born with a certain plan, which we don't realize, but there is a larger plan of which we are a part. Uh, I do uh, believe a lot in destiny. I believe that um, there are no coincidences. You are at a certain place, you meet a certain person, you see a certain, get a certain idea at the, at its given time, not a second before, not a second later. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've, I've just gone with the flow, Katrina. I've never sort of been one, per, you know, basically because I wasn't very smart. So I didn't think I had the brains to question things. So if I was, I got the, you know, a direction or urge to do something or I was told to do something, I just did it. I mean, I wasn't that smart to double guess or overthink it. So basically, that's, that's one of the reasons why I've been able to go through so many different industries. And also, uh, I do have this habit of doing more than two jobs at the same time. So when I was working at the airport, I was also a newsreader and broadcasting in the radio station, which was a nighttime job, you know, because I, nobody wanted to do the night news and the night shifts. So I would do the night shifts. And, um, and even in my education, you know, I applied, I applied for my MBA, I applied for my bachelor in education, and I applied for my psychology uh, 
thinking that, you know, kids nowadays are getting 95s and I got 52 and who's going to give me admission. And the funny thing was I got admission in all the three courses. So I was, oh my God, what am I going to do now? But fortunately, um, a lot of papers were very common uh, between psychology and education. There were six papers that were very, very very, very common, you know, like learning, uh, learning techniques, learning psychology, cognitive theory and all that was, was almost similar. So I just said, OK, the B.Ed. was nine months. So I finished that. The master's in psychology was two years. So I finished that. And the MBA, I uh, had to junk halfway. I'm not halfway through. Uh, there were 13 papers and I am hopeless at maths. I, you know, even now two plus two doesn't make four for me. Uh, so I couldn't handle the business accounts, the business mathematics, the, the you know, the, all the, the stuff that needed the maths part of it. So I said, okay, I, I mean, I wasn't getting these degrees to get a job. I was getting these degrees. Basically, I realized that I was kind of undereducated and I didn't know much about anything. So I said, no, just let me expand my horizons. And so I really wasn't upset. But, but you know, I must let you tell you that when I took, appeared for my master's, I was already married and I... Um, I was pregnant with my daughter and there's a 13 year age difference between my first and my second. And I had a lot of resistance from family as to, you know, and I was in a government job and I just sort of chucked it up. I said, no, it's done. I'm done. Um, I, uh, there is this, uh, I guess all entrepreneurs have this, the day you can do a job blindfolded, hands tied behind your back. There's no learning curve. There's no challenge. I call it quits. I mean, I mean, there's, I, I can't just get up and go and be a cookie cutter. I, I mean, if there's no challenge in the job. So I left and this was a government job and government jobs aren't easy to come by in India. And can you imagine here I was, I was pregnant and I left the job and I decided to do my master's. And I, I caught a lot of flack from family. I had to face a lot of, you know, why do you want to do this? Are you sure? And uh, it was a bit of a battle, but I, but on the other side, and uh, my mother's family and my father's family, especially my mother's family, um, we have uh, the average age is 90. So when I say I'm 64, they all look at me and say, excuse me, we are 90. So don't talk about your age. But uh, we, I come from a family of people who have been constantly joining courses, programs. I have an uncle who took up flying at the age of 70. So, uh, so my doing another course at this age was really nothing new. And then my grandfather was great support and he said, nothing doing. If the, yeah. if it's money is the problem to pay for the course, I'll pay for it. But there is no limit to, there is no age limit to education and there is no age limit to experience. You just have to take it. You have to do it. It doesn't matter if you don't get a job at the end of it. Knowledge can never be sort of measured in terms of how much are you, what is the return on investment? On, you know, a lot of people when they do engineering, when they do medicine in India, yeah. uh, parents actually calculate that if I pay so much for this degree, uh, my child will get a job which will give me yeah. so much in return. And they, they make choices for children based on the ROI, which is really sad, but it is what happens in India, a large yeah. part of the country. Um, a lot of families do that. So, yeah, so that's how I'm all over the place, Katrina. Yeah. 
but it's it's fascinating because you you've gone through uh, i mean you've done so much um uh, learning in in the, in the past and you, the the typical sort of path for many entrepreneurs is that a lot of them kind of choose entrepreneurship because they are not academically uh, strong enough they may be dyslexic and they're doing so badly at school and then they choose to become entrepreneurs and they never really think about you know 95 job or or going into uh, you know ac academia and and trying to get educated whilst you are a serial entrepreneur but you've done so much <laughs> education now for the sake of learning right <laughs> yeah but you know uh, i became an entrepreneur by default because you uh, i don't know if you understand how the system works in india uh, you know we still we still to a large extent follow the old caste system the tradition yes. of the communities and uh, most businesses in india are run by people who come from the business class you know the business caste it's a community of people who for generations have been businessmen and they only know business they don't understand education they don't understand uh, you know so you know it's it was historically created to have a more efficient society where people were chosen as per their skill sets but somewhere down the line it became a, a tool for manipulation and usurping power so you had the brahmins who were originally the teachers and the priests who were the literate community who were most of them were uh, either priests or teachers and i come from that community so teaching yeah. and education is a given in my community given, i mean nobody yeah. thinks about it but you have the business class which are the vaishya community where um, education is not important those people those children those women are really you know for an entrepreneurial um uh, sort of a environment they are brought up in those kids are born thinking doing business from day one you know you will see a 5 year old and a 6 year old negotiating over a, a chocolate or a toffee or an ice cream you know it's there it's something that they imbibe organically and if and those children who come from those families when they get into academics uh, do very well because they have the basic brains but uh, but they they get into academics with the uh, with the approach that what is the return on investment that i'm spending in terms of time and money then we do we do we did have a class which was supposed to be the warrior class which no longer exists yeah. because uh, you know we have now the modern army uh, navy and the air force where anybody and everybody who meets those param selection criteria and parameters just get in and then of course we have the the you know what was at that time called the service class uh, which did all this all the um, janitorial services which did all the support services unfortunately over a period of time what has happened is that you landed up inheriting those skill sets for no fault of yours so a lot of people who are born in my community who come from my community who actually have fantastic entrepreneurial skills have to really fight an uphill battle understanding what business is about understanding the dynamics of how to do a business understanding the kind of mindset you need the kind of attitude you you need you know yeah. when you come from a class where academics education where you are uh, i mean i don't like to call it the considered the superior 
class because you were the Brahmins. You were the people who control the uh, control the future of the masses. I mean, I'm speaking historically. So uh, we inherently, you know, it's not done in a very obvious manner, but it's a very subtle kind of an organic attitude we imbue that you know this is beneath us, and you know we don't know these kind of things. And that was one of the biggest challenges I faced when I started becoming an entrepreneur. Um, I became an entrepreneur totally by default because I had these brilliant ideas which nobody wanted to touch. Nobody wanted yeah. to handle yeah, or good, get into. So I said, a, okay, I'll do it myself. Yeah. And, and, and I can tell you, I'm still learning. Um, I'm, uh, you know, unfortunately, entrepreneurial success is measured by how much money you make and uh, how successful you are financially on that score. I, I would say that I, I haven't made any money. In fact, I was very fortunate. I had a nine to five job that paid very well. And I used yeah. almost all the money that I got as a salary in running my business, which was the dumbest thing to do. I mean, no sensible business family person would ever use their own funds to run a business. But then I had this drilled into me that you never take a loan, you never take funding from outside. And, you know, I mean, this is culturally sort of imbued into me. Uh, the other thing, a challenge that as an entrepreneur I faced, Katrina, was in India, women aren't seen in business, period. Yeah. If you are in business, in your, you're in that environment, you're either a secretary or you're an assistant. You don't own a business. It's just not done. And, and very often when I, uh, even to this day, when I go to make presentations and all that, people, you know, will look at me and say, where's your boss? You know? Uh-huh. Okay. You know, it's, it's really, 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 very, very, um, very challenging. So, uh, and I, I got into an area which was where no woman would have ever gotten to. Uh, you know, I started, uh, my first business was when I did my master's, it was called Good Foundations, and I developed educational material for learners, yeah. not for teachers, for learners. You know, educational material, often people think teachers need. It was, no, it when they were learning materials, teachers could use them, and they were designed for uh, age groups of 7 to 14, and they didn't need, and, and they even if you were challenged in any way, uh, even if you were, uh, had me were mentally retarded, if you couldn't speak, they were a system of cards that were used yeah. to develop a lot of skills between that age group. And I tried selling, you know, and uh, selling them and I couldn't. So uh, I'm very good at production. I don't know how. It's like music. If you tell me something has to be made, I instantly know what are the steps to be taken to produce something. And I'm very quick at producing and making things. So Where did you get your skill from? Where did you get your, uh, this skill from? It's like music, Katrina. It's, an in, it's just an inborn talent. I, I love you making You were born like this? <laughs> Sorry? You were born like this because you're very yeah, creative. I, was born, I love making things. If yeah. something has to be made and someone says, you know, can we get this done? I would be the first one off the block to get it done. You know, it's like I can't do maths. It's like, you know, some people can't sing. Some people, it's like music or maths. I just have that talent in me. And so a lot of people ask me, so where did you do your engine? You know, when I filed for my patents and stuff like that. Oh, so are you an engineering graduate? I said, no, I'm just a common sense graduate. It needs common sense to build a machine. So, yeah. so I have machines that I have 
designed and and you know it's there's one thing to design it something there's another it's another skill set that to actually make it you know to physically make it uh, i'm able to do that transition very easily so i i just jumped or jumped into manufacturing stuff and then i realized oh my god i've got room full of stuff and i haven't got a clue how to market it i still marketing is my biggest challenge so any entrepreneur i tell them you know my father would jokingly tell me any monkey can make any you know any monkey can make anything it takes a genius to sell it and i would sort of you know tell my father oh dad you're always saying this but now i realize i'm at the short end of the stick i really realize it does take genius to sell something yes. and uh, if you can't sell it there's no point having a room full of stock manufactured and ready but you need to learn to sell it so so that's even a digital product you have to learn how to market it and that's yes. my biggest challenge so i would tell any entrepreneur before you get into production get some to do the marketing get, get some marketing <laughs> skills yeah because you'll have to sell it cuz it's amazing cuz you've been involved in uh you've been involved in uh integrated toilet project for rural areas and you were also creating light, lighting for rural areas as well so a lot of social you know projects with the social impact uh is see uh, you know why i started roshni in 2008 was way back in 1982 the government of india had something called a literacy scheme called each one teach one and it was a scheme where they reached out to all educated adults to take people you know your servants your drivers your maids yeah. to take them and to teach them literacy and to teach get basically to get literacy of the blocks so um, as usual i was one of those who would be the first one to jump into these kind of schemes so what happened was that we managed and they said that we would get, give you the local government resources like you know the government school building for you to hold your classes because we all lived in small homes you couldn't hold a class in your house and the funny thing was most of the the people were free in the evenings you know no everybody had to go for work in the morning or they were uh, out in the day time and in the evening when we would go to the school we couldn't have our classes because there'd be no electricity there'd be no light and at that point of time you know i realized that in india um, there are you know we have something like 6 lakh villages that's 600000 villages yeah and all of them are not electrified and and i sort of and i realized the technology wasn't available in 1982 to actually have off site decentralized uh any any form of lighting the concept just wasn't there it's only in 2000 that you know you had leds and solar panels and all these things sort of uh, emerge so somehow um again it was a question of timing i think 2008 was a year when i was meant to do this work so then i set up this foundation and uh, i went and visited a village i had a friend who who runs um, a women's self help group in a very remote village in india it's considered the final frontier you know the the last the last mile frontier of uh, undevelopment so underdevelopment so when i went there and i sort sort of looking at started looking at okay so let's put a light um the women cornered me and they told me a couple of things they said a 
please give us a light that we can use because you know if you understand how the indian village cultural system is if you put a light in the um in a public area the men will sit under it and play cards and have their smoke sessions which means that we will still be functioning without light and they in villages there is still a lot of the burqa system you know i mean women still are under the veil you, know, you don't have to be islamic to be under the veil indian culture also has the concept of the veil and the women sort of don't come out where the men are sitting and i looked at the houses and that's when i realized that this concept of putting a light on a pole or putting a light in a wall will not work let me make something mobile that they can take with them and uh, lo and behold uh, the boys the youngsters cornered me and they said you know if you're making us a device can you make something that will charge our mobile phones i yeah. said what he says no you know we have to drive we have to cycle at least 4 hours to the town or the nearest main village uh, this was really a remote village to main village yeah. and pay 10 rupees for every time we charge the phone and by the time we come back because of the tower sequencing the charge goes so can you give us something to charge the phone that was something really out of you know i mean it hit me between the eyes so i came back and then i designed a very ugly looking very rudimentary very hardcore light which i called a light in a bag and and then i realized i ran out of money so then i started reaching out to friends to for donations and people uh, gave donations and i was able to manufacture Uh, you know manufacturing was the easy part for me so yeah. i ma- made about 100 of these lights and i took them and i gave them to the, the villagers and i Did gave them to this ngo yeah. but then again what happened was that died a natural death because um, i ran out of funds and uh, and then the government changed and you know i mean i want to share with you something very unique if you you know people who are looking at statistics and data about india you uh this was this was an eye opener to me in as per you know the indian data that we have i was trying to look at okay i was when i was going for funding uh, the funding guy said tell us what the size of your market is and you know how big is this going to be so i started looking at the data and i looked at okay we have villages how many villages are electrified and i found that the village that i had been to where there was absolutely no light was marked as electrified and then i sort of you know researched and i found that if if there is an electric pole installed in a village that village is ticked off the box is electrified the fact that there is no supply electric supply to that pole and the fact that that pole is only one and if there are 100 houses there is no electricity going to 100 houses the village is ticked off as electrified and forgotten so people still do not have a life after sundown in the villages you know that that is is the is the hardcore uh, hardcore fact and and then what happened was this particular village i visited it again 3 years later and i found that you know the government had come up with this very big uh, scheme at that time saying that, oh we have electrified the villages and when i went to the village i asked but you you have a pole he said yeah the pole is in the village headman's house you know again it's that uh, that hierarchical politics that works there so the pole just went to the headman's house and the department said oh we've given you electricity inside the house so we don't need to give you any more electricity so so that is it but roshni foundation is uh, is is sort of dormant because i'm one person handling everything 
uh, although I've often been told you have to hire people, but then to hire people, you need to make money. And I'm really not very good handling people. I would rather think and make and do things than handle the other side of business, which is, which is so very essential. And then uh, 2016, this was 2008, mind you. So 2008, 2009, I did the Roshni Foundation work. Then 2016, when the, when the Modi government came in, they came up with this Swachh Bharat, you know, where they were going across the country, pan-India, to stop open defecation. And uh, there, there are no toilets. There is, there is no proper facilities anywhere in, in these villages. Uh, so they came up with this scheme. And again, uh, I was very fortunate. I, I had some NGOs contact me and say, listen, we know we are here. You do work in this. Can you look at it? So I actually toured about uh, nine village, nine, ten villages, because I said, I am not going to sit in a city penthouse and work out a module. I need to be in the field to really understand what the, you know, most of the schemes that don't work in environment are because they are done by people in suits sitting in air-conditioned offices. You need to be out there in the field to really understand what the field challenges are, what what, yeah. what is the problem that they are facing, and, and come up with a solution for their problem, not what you think is the right solution, you know. Yeah. So I went to these villages, and then I realized there were, there were many issues. Uh, so I came back. And uh, the whole thing was, how do you get the women to use the bathrooms, you know? And, and what was the reason why women would not adapt for using the bathrooms? So that's how I came up with the integrated, uh, integrated toilet project, where the, the women would actually, uh, you know, the, have, it was a full system where in the villages, they all were growing their own food and, you know, plants and crops. So I said, this is nutrition, nutritive uh, water that comes out if it's properly processed. So it's a very integrated project. But again, um, most of my work, uh, Katrina, has come up, come up against roadblocks uh, for the most bizarre reasons. I mean, uh, it, it defies logic. Uh, and sometimes I've often wondered as why why am I asked to do this stuff if it's not meant to go forward? But I still do it. I don't question. I'm, there, I, I'm one of those really dumb or um, you know obstinate entrepreneurs who doesn't get it right. But we'll still continue and keep at it. So it did make you rich uh, in the process, right? Being involved in these projects. Sorry. It did make you rich in the process, did it? Doing all this work for all these remote villages, it did make you rich. No, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. No. It didn't. You see, because uh, of the funding, uh, nobody was yeah. willing to pay for the concept. You know, everybody, uh, most of the people who wanted me to build the toilets in the villages said, no, we don't want an integrated concept. We just want you to build four walls and a hole in the ground. And I said, no, it will not work. People will not adopt a hole in the ground. They are already going out into the fields, which is a hole in the ground. The only yeah. thing you're giving them is four walls, which is not, which is not what, what the situation requires. So they said, no, we don't want you to give them an integrated uh, treatment plant. We don't want you to give them. I said, then where will the stuff go? You, you know, in remote villages, if you see the topography of the villages, I said, you will be creating a health problem because you'll be creating cesspools outside the house. 
So you have to look at the whole condition and there are no lakes or there is no river into which they can just sort of, you know, push the stuff off, which is again, not the right thing to do. So I said, you have to give this. And the other thing is the reason why they will maintain and keep the toilet is because it's generating revenue for them. You know, it's growing their, their household crops and it's growing whatever they want to grow and they can create revenue out of it. I mean, I sat for a month with these villagers, understanding that entire dynamics of it before I came up with this, uh, with this solution. But um, mainstream just wanted a quick fix. They wanted, uh, you know, uh, photo, photo shoot sessions. And they just wanted to get it off the check, checklist that village, 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 you know, has been... Uh, Toilet has been provided. I'm I'm not willing to compromise on doing the right thing. Maybe that's one reason why I'm not such a successful entrepreneur. I'm not willing to play the rule, the game by the rules of the game by what they lay down. Because you need yeah. to do the right thing. It's 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 a tough journey if you take the moral high road. But I don't know any other road to take, Katrina. Quite honestly. Yeah. So how do you uh, how do you define success? Uh, what, what success means for you as an entrepreneur? Um, well, what I have done is something a lot of people uh, have. You know, when I when I'm, I'm asked to speak and I go on engagements, and I always tell them, um, you know, I'm not a successful entrepreneur. Uh, people always say no, but you're an inspiration because uh, you've you've done things that nobody would ever do. You are um, a social entrepreneur. You are a social entrepreneur that, that makes a, a, a social impact on society. Yes, yes. I try to create that impact. But um, in today's day and age, I think a successful entrepreneur would be someone who's been able to balance the, uh, the doing good and the making money part of it too. You know, uh, I, people have always asked me, uh, how is it that you have hung in there now? It's it's been almost now twenty years, you know, and you still keep at it. Um, I, you know, in in terms of the Wall Street terms of success, I'm not a success, but I still keep at it. And and I and I and I believe any entrepreneur who starts out thinking that they're doing this to make money, because you don't make money overnight. It it is it is it is a path you have to walk down. Either it's uphill or it's zigzagging, winding, taking you all over the place. But it is a path you have to walk. It's not something that's going to, you know, land up with a silver platter in your lap. Well, if it does, then you're a, you, you know, you you come in the gift, you know, the gift of the gods, yeah. a group of people. But otherwise, um, it, it's not going to be easy. And and the biggest challenge for people who get into this just to make the money is that when they don't see the money in the first two years, they bail out. They just they just abandon ship. And, and, and another thing that happens is for entrepreneurs, and this is something I face, is the amount of negative flack you get from family and friends because you haven't made the money. And, and so if you get into it from your heart, believing that this is what you are driven to do, then you stay the course and, uh, and just hope um, you get it right. I know uh, it isn't a question of hope. It's a question of my, my son, who's, who's a management consultant, will always tell me, mom, you really don't know how to put the, the bricks in the right place. 
to build your wall and which is why you're fumbling all over the place but but if if one does get get someone who can show them the plan show them how to work it show them how to be on track be systematic then then you are a success on both ends so just because uh, i i believe that i have some awesome products i have done different things in different genres in different verticals in fact some of the verticals i worked in are totally unrelated uh it might look very motivating and nice but from a hardcore business perspective it's it's really not what would go into we be described as something that was a success so personally i i don't feel i'm a success i mean yes i i guess i'm an excellent uh, model or a role model for a lot of people who are starting up there uh, but it isn't enough uh, also uh, with what i'm now doing now with the the divine heart uh, meditation and the infinite life work that i'm doing i realize that with me particularly this must be something very you know individual katrina is uh, i've always been a child of destiny i've always been pushed in a direction i've never questioned it and uh, and i saw, i was t- actually i was teaching meditation and quantum healing randomly to people who were interested for about 4 or 5 years but but when things were really beginning to fail when my products you know i i'm really grateful to amazon because i have this house full of stuff and my husband was getting at me there's no place to sit you know it was literally everywhere it was under the furniture it was under the dining table it was everywhere so when amazon uh, you know i just when amazon came and i could just sort of shift everything to the amazon warehouse it was a it was a big relief uh, but again once it's in amazon you have to market it i mean amazon doesn't do the marketing for you so that's another battle i'm still learning yeah. fight but then what happened was i guess one day in absolute desperation you know when things just went going right at all when i you know i i'm not i'm, I'm not a person who shirks effort i mean I, i'm probably one of those first idiots who will jump off the cliff if someone tells you jump and and i would give it my 150% whatever i do i would never do it in half measures uh i was so so fed up and i just sort of said god tell me if this is not what you want me to do then show me what it is you want me to do and i'll do it i mean i mean i mean i've proved that i'm capable of staying the course i'm capable of doing what i what needs to be done and and that's when everything broke loose when i broke my back i went blind and i was diagnosed with cancer all within the same month <laughs> all within 10 days of each other and uh, was and this after you asked god what to do did sorry this, did this happen to you after you've asked god what to do yes, all these yes. events just happened in the same time yes it happened on 31st of october i fell and i broke my back on 12 10 days later i went blind with a glaucoma attack and 10 days later i was diagnosed with multiple myeloma cancer of the bone marrow all all <laughs> all in the same month wow okay and um, oh. and and you know i i look at it as well like you know one of my students told me you know man you're not an easy nut to crack i don't think you would have listened had god explained told you in any other way this was the only way he could get you to listen to flatten you on your back to make you blind and put you in a place where you didn't have a choice but to listen 
And, and I think it's a gift, Katrina. I really think it's a gift. Because how many of us get that opportunity to really find what you're here for? What's that mission, that one burning mission that you took, took this life form, took, took the decision to be born at this time for? And uh, we, we just go, you know, we sail through life. Uh, doing what we think is what we are supposed to be doing because society has sort of set the norm. Uh, there are very few. It's a it's a big grace. And it's a big gift to be given that. Now look, this is what you have to do. And 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 another thing I realize is when 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 the mission is so big, the focus everything just falls into place. Just falls into place. And. Um, and in the first 15 days of this entire experience, you know, that I had, uh, one of the beauties of it was that I could meditate because I couldn't do much else. I was flat on my back. I couldn't see. And I realized that, my God, I can meditate for 20 hours a day. What a gift. I mean, how many of us get that kind of, get that kind of time? Wow. Yeah, I was in a lot of pain and I was having a bit of brain fog post the chemo and all that. I mean, all that was there, but, um, but I was just meditating. And you won't believe it. Uh, that is why I always say that it was a revelation because in those states of trance, because I was teaching, look, I, I knew how to meditate. I was teaching theta. I was teaching alpha mind control. I was teaching theta. I was teaching quantum. So I knew how to get into those those uh, frequencies, but uh, but what I was revealed was something just unbelievable. I mean, yeah. and it was—it's so simple. It's so doable. You don't have to, you know, spend hours at it. It's just that intent. You've told us about, uh, you know, what's really happened. You broke your back. You went blind, and and really, you realized your purpose in life, right? Yeah, yeah. And then now you've started the podcast. Can you? tell me about your podcast uh, no you know uh, I wasn't doing podcasts because this was um, my my entire treatment was from uh, uh, November of 2018 till uh, April April May May of 2019 yeah you know so that was the period uh, when most of this you know it's very recent and uh, and at that point of time uh, at the cancer center you know, when you have something new, you want to share it and spread it, you know, you have that urge. So at the cancer center, when uh, the first few months when I was going for the, the chemo sessions, the, the, the woman in the next bed and someone would ask, how come you're so, you know, you're so happy about the situation and what I said, you want to learn. So I started teaching one-on-one -on -one and they found a lot of improvement uh, in, in, in their condition. And then one led to another. So I was doing one-on-one -on -one, uh, audio meditations over the phone um, for about three, four different people. And then someone else said that, look, uh, my friend has this problem, so can you help her? So, and, and then I would just record all these meditations and send it to them on WhatsApp and, and then connect with them on the phone, which is how uh, by, by sheer serendipity, I have such a large body of meditation recordings already available. All the, you know, all the conversations I've had with these people and, and 
each one was a different challenge and and uh, and how i was sort of talking to them but you know i must say that every time i would speak to someone i would meditate and i would go into theta and i would just say what what i was asked to say to them so actually i i always feel that it's another force that that was sort of i wouldn't say was channeling but i was very much there but it wasn't me it was it was a larger larger force that was telling me what they needed to hear and uh, so that was it and uh, but somewhere in june of 2019 i was insistently getting this message that get this out by may of 2020 this has to reach humanity by 2020 and i was wondering what's the bloody hurry why may of you know why march of 2020 march of 2020 and this this business of march of 2020 was repeatedly being and, and you know i am a person who tends to say okay okay boss i'll listen i'll do what you want me to do i'm not fighting you so um, then i started looking around how can i get this out and um, youtube wasn't an option because it's kind of silly to when people have to do the whole thing with the eyes shut to put it on youtube you know and and then i started enrolling for podcast courses i'm a great student i love enrolling for courses <laughs> so i enrolled for a whole lot of podcast courses <laughs> and find out how to do podcast what i said okay this kind of makes sense and um, and then i started enrolling for i said now okay this time i'm going to be a little smart i started hunting around for marketing courses as to how to market and how to reach out and because the digital digital arena is something totally new to me uh, i'm not comfortable on facebook and you know that sort of a thing so i'm i'm very digitally savvy i'm tech savvy but that that's the you know that's the engineering creative part of me but not the other part so i enrolled for a very intensive 30 day uh, marketing course and i have yet to yet to put it into action to see what i've learned how it rolls out <laughs> so uh, so then when i um, you know started going back into whatever i had recorded i realized i had 100 recordings i said oh my god is that the, you know i'm the sort of person who will just work and when i look back i'll find that i have a room full of stuff you know it's like that i i never keep track of the work that i'm doing it's only when i turn around and look at what i'm taking stock that i realize i have so yeah. much material so then i managed to get a digital um, you know i use i've used wave uh, uh, audio editor before and i love audio it i mean i love that business of making the audio the editing part of it so then i started editing it and then i realized uh, a friend of mine told me look why don't you make this into a course um because i was telling her look i can teach this i would love to teach it free but she said don't be stupid you have to monetize it you have to live you know because most of my finances got wiped out in the treatment and uh, and i and i'm sort of retired i don't have any you know a regular 9 to 5 job that pays you a salary to keep you going and i have no savings because all the salaries that i got i shoved into my entrepreneurial ventures uh, so so pretty much so my a friend of mine a student actually um she said she said you know um, i think you need to make a course so then i took a course on how to make an online course and i i uploaded uh, i've started i've uploaded three courses on 
Coursecraft, and I find that an absolutely fabulous platform. It's so convenient. Then, um, then I, I came across Buzzsprout. I first tried with Anchor and I didn't like the way Anchor was sort of, you know, laid out and how it worked. And then I uh, looked at Buzzsprout and I looked at three, four, I shopped around quite a bit. I did quite a bit of research. And then I said, okay, Buzzsprout uh, sort of works for me. Yeah. And then I realized that I needed to have a website. So um, there yeah, was a you've time. Just, you've um, just launched sorry? your website. You've just launched your website. So I've just well launched done. it. I've just launched it. Yeah. I've launched my website. And I, that I did on GoDaddy. Uh, it's really funny because in um, some 20 years ago, I was making websites. But what I know of coding and website making has no relevance today so i said i'm not going to now relearn everything let me just go to a platform which has these ready-made templates and uh, and and then there was one smart thing i think it's a smart thing that i've done is instead of putting all my stuff on my website i've just put the links to the platforms because you know i'm going to be uploading on that platform so it may as well, someone goes, they see the latest stuff. If I start uploading on the website, it's going to be so much of extra work. Uploading there, then uploading there, then uploading there. And um, then you can monetize your podcast, for example. Yeah, if you if you have enough listeners, you can then monetize it. If it's on oh, Buzzsprout I don't know that. I'll podcast. have to learn that too. <laughs> well, I'll have yeah. to learn how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that is that. And, um, and now I'm in the process of, you know, um, putting together the, the rest of the material into courses, uh, sort of organizing it in a better way, doing more podcasts, uh, seeing what can go as a podcast. But one thing I have learned in one of the courses that I learned is to have consistency across in terms of content, in terms of, you know, how you present yourself. Uh, so that's something I've learned recently. So I managed to get that consistency across all yeah, the platforms. So I've listened to um, several of your podcasts, uh, meditation post podcasts, and I, I guess the March, I mean, it's, it's very timely because of, you know, COVID-19 and a lot of people just need this uh, extra mental and emotional support. And uh, a lot of people are kind of lost at the moment and they, they just don't know what to do. And, um, actually being locked in uh, in our homes might be might become a, a new norm for everyone right because we're still sort of trying to figure out how we you know going to live in the future because they expect i, I now understand this timing yeah. that was given to me repeatedly march 2020 i don't yeah, I mean, know you know as to why i was being told get it out there but otherwise i would have taken another year i have this problem of perfection paralysis i would have just delayed and delayed and pushed pushed it further down the road yeah. but then this march 2020 it needs to get out it needs to get out so i said okay i'll just do it good bad or indifferent uh, irrespective of how imperfect it is, I'll just get it out there. Yeah, no, no, I mean, that's, that's amazing. And uh, one of your podcasts uh, had meditation about fear. Uh, can, you, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, the importance of understanding where the fear comes from and how do we get rid of fear or should fear. we embrace fear? Yeah. You know, um, there are... Uh, uh, there are the three most powerful forces in the universe. Uh, that is unconditional love, 
unconditional gratitude and unconditional compassion. Uh, I, in my lessons and in my podcasts, future podcasts, I'll be going into great depth of what they are, how they present themselves into your life. But the, there is only one opposite to all these three powerful forces, and that is fear. Now, unfortunately, uh, you know, in, in the Bible, when they talk about the fall of man, it's actually, you have to understand metaphorically what it is. It is we were actually uh, created in the heart. We live in the heart. The heart is the first organ that is made. Heart does not know fear. Heart just knows to be. It is. It knows love. And from that love, it knows gratitude, compassion, all that comes. But the brain, you know, the fall of man happened is when he moved from the heart and fell into the brain. And, you know, it's just 18 inches. It's just a distance of 18 inches. And the moment you go into the brain, that is where the ego is seated. The heart has no ego. The, the brain is where the ego is seated. And the moment you have ego, you will have fear. Because, you know, the, the me, the mind, the my, the I, that is the source of all fear. Also, fear has been often referred to as darkness. And love has often been referred to as light. Actually, darkness is not a thing. It is basically when there is absence of light, you have darkness. You know, darkness is not a thing. Now, the problem with fear is that if you have not learned to recreate the power of your heart, which is you, which is who you are, then it is so easy for the mind to quieten the heart and then fear takes over. You know, like uh, people have always asked me, aren't you scared that, you know, you're going to be a failure? I said, no. In fact, that is one of the biggest sources of fear entrepreneurs have is the fear of failure. because. Yeah. Failure is, is, you know, you have to look at failure as a gift. Failure is a lesson. You refuse to learn the easy way. That's how I like to put it. You were, you were shown that there was an easy way of doing things, but you didn't learn it. You, you refused to learn it. So you got a kick in your butt and you got failure. But fear of failure is more harmful than the failure itself. Because fear starts to define you. It starts to say that, this is me, this is happening to me, this is mine, this is where I am going wrong. No, something that has happened is just an event. So how do you deal with fear? Of course, if you try, you know, it's like this. If you try to solve something that is created, uh, solve it from the point where it is created, which is why most of the modern, most of the meditation that is being taught globally, and it is such a tragedy, is being taught from the mind. You know, it's control your mind, it's mindfulness, it's calm your mind. You take the fear out of your mind. You cannot replace fear from the mind. You'll have to replace it from the heart. The moment you create that light in the heart, there is no place for fear because you start seeing things differently. You know, this was what was revealed to me. You know, the situation I was in was can actually have been very, very fearful. You know, it could have really been terrifying. And this is what most of the people ask me. How come you're so happy about it? How come you're not terrified? I said, because I was shown a different perspective. I was shown a different dimension. Okay, I 
it was a gift and also there's a reason uh, i think i was i was forced to go through this for the sake of authenticity there's one thing teaching from theory and there's one thing teaching from experience there's a whole ocean between the two ways of teaching so fear 90% of the fear comes from the mind you think of you know like shakespeare said nothing is good or bad thinking makes it so you have to get if you want to overcome fear just get out of the mind look at it from the perspective of the heart oh, what is the worst that could happen i mean you know sometimes we get so caught up into this this whole labyrinth of of what fear can create yeah, just stop and ask yourself what's the worst thing yeah yeah we think of the worst case scenario it's like a spilled milk you know if you if you ask people can you imagine spilled milk and a lot of people will imagine a lot of mess on the floor milk all over the place and and spilled milk could be just a couple of droplets of milk on the, on the table right but and you know spilled milk think about the ice cream every day ice cream milk every day my daughter tells me in your past life there must be some child you didn't feed because you spilled milk every day. <laughs> yeah Yeah. yeah so so what's the worst that can happen and and you know if you stop to think about fear fear will actually shut down all all your faculties and then what happens is this has been scientifically proven it will start releasing chemicals which your cells are not used to handling and that's where cancer begins it's it's all that fear you know because the your body starts releasing chemicals the cells in your body are not used to having having those chemicals around them and what do they do they protect themselves by creating more of themselves in fact have you listened to the podcast talking about cancer yes yes yeah. i did and and that was one thing i realized it's it's that fear i mean you know uh, which is why most of the people whom i've sort of been sharing with the meditation with the cancer patients i tell them for god's sake stop tell all your relatives if they're going to come and see you to talk about your condition tell them you don't want to see them just tell them it's going to be rude but but you are more important to yourself so just tell them i don't want to see them i had you won't believe this between uh, the number of people who would send me youtube links and messages food to kill cancer 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 this cancer that medicine for cancer all the treatment and they wouldn't give me a break to give me a chance to move away from focusing on the problem hmm. you know so i just then started telling people i don't i don't want to talk to you if this is all you're going to talk about i mean hmm. what is it why are you giving this condition so much of unwanted energy that poor that poor part of the body is as it is suffering trying to come to terms with all the all the rubbish and toxins we have sent towards it give it a chance change it so fear is something uh, that has to be dealt with from the heart because if you deal you can deal deal with it from the mind but believe you me the mind is dual it has got it's a duality it will come back i have seen you know uh, i you create from the mind there will always be a negative part to what you have created but when you create from the heart there is just one form you know you you can 
create, there are a lot of people who work from the mind, but what is the other side of the story that, you know, the other part of the mind, the duality that is created, the negativity that is created, that is the stress of the mind, you know, but you create from the heart, you deal with something from the heart, it goes away, it doesn't ever come back, it doesn't ever, ever, ever come back. So what advice would you give to people um, who maybe lost their jobs because we were We've seen um, on news um, uh, about unemployment in the US and in the UK. A lot of people lost their jobs, and I, I guess around the world, yes, uh, there is a the, there'll be a big uh, economic impact of you know coronavirus on, on on employment on people, and some people will decide to start up businesses, and will well, other people will decide not to do anything at this point. Uh, what would be your advice in this situation if, if people feel threatened or, or they, they feel fear, uh, fearful of, of the situation? What would you tell them? You know, um, as far as this, uh, this current situation of the virus is concerned, I've been trying to uh, a lot to meditate to get a read on, on what it is, um, why it is happening, um, what is the way forward, uh, the, it, one thing is very clear. It is a big reset button that was, has been pressed. A reset for a lot of things. The way, the way we were going desperately needed to be reset. And, and this is where I really think is the unconditional love of the creator for his creation to have taken that step to press that reset button. You know, we could have just continued the way we were. But uh, a reset button was pressed, needed to be pressed. That is one. Uh, in terms of the economy having gone, uh, likely to be going run, you know, not coming back, a lot of people losing jobs. And, and, in, and you know, in developing countries, it's, it's really more traumatic because uh, a lot of people, are, a major part of the workforce is in the unorganized sector. So they will not have access to any of the schemes that are likely to be coming up in the future where the governments are going to bail them out and stuff like that. Uh, is, uh, you know, I, I would like to tell people that there is always enough. There is always enough. No, no, no single person ever goes uncared for, unlooked after in one way or another. The problem is our definition of what is enough and what we want as to be looked after or taken care of. You know, uh, because I am, I am seeing in these times, there are people who are flourishing, who have sort of found a niche and found a way to get about it. Yes, you do need money, but then, you know, there are also people who are stepping out in providing services uh, which don't equate to money which, you know, equate to so much other forms. We are going to need to take a step back and especially people who have lost their jobs have to seriously take a step back, go within and find out what, what they are about. Because there will always be, uh, you know, the creator doesn't leave anybody abandoned. Never, ever. I, I mean, this, uh, this I have seen across the board. Uh, in all my experience, in all my travels, nobody is ever left out. People lock themselves out. You know, I would always say, um, 
God is talking to you all the time. I'm not a religious person, Katrina. I should I should make this disclaimer. I use God because it's a, it's a simpler and easier way to explain it. Uh, God is talking to you. The universe is talking to you all the time. Every time, all the time. Problem is we don't listen. There is an opportunity to meet your need, never to meet your greed. The problem is we have moved from need to greed. And that's why I, and we moved, moved into it in a very bad way. And that's why this reset is there. So my advice to people who are looking out for businesses, starting up, uh, wanting to start businesses because they've lost their jobs. Maybe starting a business because you've lost your job is probably not the right choice. You know, I mean, it's a knee jerk. A knee jerk is never sustainable. I mean, you know this. I mean, it, a knee jerk reaction to any situation is never the answer. Uh, for people who are already entrepreneurs who are struggling, I would always say, and I use this, please move away from your logical brain. Move away from that left brain. Move into the right brain. Uh, meditate because, you know, when you, we don't have all the answers. We are too myopic. Our time frames are too small. The universal, uh, you know, the universal canvas and the universal agenda and universal time frame is, is far, far larger than us. And we will never be able to, with our left brain and our limited thinking, ever be able to grasp its potential, you know. And, and I do know one thing that absolutely revolutionary new path-breaking concepts, ideas, technologies are going to emerge out of nowhere. You, you know, the person who's lost his job may be the next person who comes up with it, provided easy tuned in, tapped in, tuned in, turned on, listening. If you're listening, the answer is there for you. This is from personal experience. You know, none of what the products I have developed None of the work that I have done has ever been from my left brain. I have just allowed the ideas to intuitively flow in from the universe. I've just been the instrument that, that's got it done in this dimension. Uh, I know it sounds, what I'm saying sounds like a lot of woo-woo, but people really need to take a step back, uh, take time off to think. It's easier said than done, but I guess this reset button was pressed because we refused to do it. You know, so there's always something somewhere. You know, who would have thought that we would be talking on Zoom ever five years ago? Who would have thought there was Facebook 10 years ago? There's WhatsApp, there's Twitter. We never knew these things. So I do know for a fact, and this was shown to me, that there are revolutionary new concepts, technologies. A lot of things are going to be totally rewritten. What we took as for granted and as the normal or the expected norm is going to change a lot. Uh, the point is, if you get into fear that you're going to shut down your intuitive capacities, you're going to shut down your ability to see beyond your nose, you know, that's what happens with fear. Fear stops here. I always say, I tell my students, fear stops here. If you keep focusing on here, you're focusing on fear. You look beyond. Fear goes, be, you know, get out of fear, go beyond. Who knows? You may have been given a skill uh, in, a, in a job which, which is going to be so critical for something new that's going to come up. People need to get be open to, to face. That's all I can say. Yeah. So what would be your sort of final advice, last advice to female entrepreneurs who maybe started their business, but they've now hit the wall and they've lost their clients? 
what can they do today and what advice you know mental emotional advice uh you would give them um to carry on you know for females and i i i can i can completely empathize with your question because i've been there my first advice is it is going to be tough you aren't going to be accepted easily accept it don't let it get into your way there is it is still very much a, a male dominated world especially when you go for finances when you talk to funding agencies when you talk to venture capitalists i face that i've been the only woman in a room full of engineers when i was trying to sell my thing and they were looking at me like you know is she going to teach us how to run a machine you know so accept it uh, don't let it uh, sort of scare you or daunt you uh, and i would tell a woman use all all the dirty tricks of the trade of being a woman to get what you want honestly honestly don't try to be one of the men it's never going to happen so use your strengths in the playing field it is going to be a male playing field still for some time it's going to take another 6 7 years for it to be a female playing field but use your skills don't feel guilty about it the second thing is women are going to find it more difficult to get finances and i sincerely hope there is going to be a women's network financing only women in businesses you know i i've been on you won't believe it katrina i've been on so many funding forums uh, venture capital forums i mean there isn't a forum i haven't been on presenting my case and and i've always found that the moment a woman comes to present their case they start pulling out their phones and they are looking at it so i really hope and think if someone is listening that uh, a network of women of funders and venture capitalists supporting women entrepreneurs comes up the second thing is build your community and don't feel shy asking for help yeah you are a dumb blonde yeah okay fine ask for help you know this is what i would say and that's why most of us hold ourselves back you know we 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 feel inadequate you are not inadequate i'll always you know i always tell tell men or my male students um the problem with men is they you see you have to understand they can't multitask women are born multitasking so i always tell them the day you learn to have a baby and do the housework and get a job and keep the place going then you talk to us no you know so and and in india it's really really challenging because women aren't aren't supposed to be know, knowing anything about money uh if there's a business conversation going on and a woman opens her mouth she's bluntly told shut up this is man's job you're not right. for you so i understand that i really understand the challenges they're facing and and don't just hang out with women you know because women don't know all the tricks of the trade Yeah. I hang out with as many men as I can because obviously it's it's a given accepted that they look at a situation very differently than we do and while we may be able to look at a situation they will never be able to learn from us but we have one great talent we can learn from them and use that learn that's what I would I mean that that is what I have sort of practiced and I continue to practice I always hang around the men and my husband will say yeah yeah you're the only woman in that entire group of men and and you know you stand around them nodding your head as if you're very intelligent I said well what well, he doesn't know basically I'm trying to pick up as many tricks of the trade as I can from them 
Because the way they do things, we will never, even if we go, go through 10 degrees, we will never be able to do it. It's not, it's not in our psyche. So learn from them. Learn from others' mistakes. And never be afraid of reaching out and saying, I don't know, help, teach me. There is no ego. Ego doesn't have to take any winners out here, you know. That's no. ego is fear, like you said. Yeah, if if no, if you feel fearful, uh, it's your ego. What will they think yeah. of me? What will they say about me? How will I appear? Forget it. You have a focus. You have a goal. You to achieve. Don't yeah. let anything stop in your way. Yeah. Yeah. That's. That that's great. Thank you so much. And I, I hope that someone listens and actually creates a platform for uh, for for women to get some funds because we had actually a girl on the program and uh, she created a, 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 an app, a mobile phone app for girls to socialize and um, you know network and and she, because she's got men on the board of directors, they're giving her some hard time. Venture capitalists, they're giving her some hard time even telling her to, how to run her um, business, right? And it's, it's, it's all about a place for, for, for girls to socialize and be together. And they want to put their, they, you know, <laughs> they want to change it and mold it to what they want. And it, it's hard. It's hard. And I, I just wish that, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a great suggestion for someone to actually create a platform to fund other women. Yeah. I hope someone starts that platform. I sincerely do. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for, thank yeah, you so for much giving for us me. your positivity. And it's, it's an incredible story. And I guess everyone will learn from, 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 from your story that you have to be brave and fearless and, um, and, and just accept Accept yourself, accept the situations in your life and, and see beyond the fear. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you so much, Katrina. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mental Wealth Entrepreneurs Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this show. Please send me any comments or feedback. If you're an entrepreneur and want to share your story, please contact me. The link is in the podcast show notes. Also, please see the social media links and uh, links to offers from my guests on the podcast notes. This podcast is sponsored by Smart Octopus Voice Agency, who create chatbots and voice skills on Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant. So I'm really excited uh, to tell you that this podcast is now available as an Alexa skill, uh, so you can search for resilient entrepreneur uh, skill and enable it as a flash briefing. So that's all for me. Um, I wish I wish you good mental health, and you are just one mind hack away. Till next time.